Hey guys, welcome to the What Would You Know podcast. If you're new here, welcome. And if you're not, thank you so much for coming back. It would mean the absolute world to me if you could give me a rating and review. Obviously, only if you like the podcast. Today, I am super excited because I do have a guest um, all the way from Brisbane. So it was done online. We did have a few technical difficulties in recording, um, just as a little bit of lagging and stuff and overlapping with the voices. Uh, We did the best that we could though, so please bear with us. She has a lot to share. But today we are going to be speaking about overcoming, you know, healthy, um, unhealthy habits, sorry, and she kind of went through like this breakup with a bad lifestyle and I feel like she has a lot to share and it's going to be really helpful for a lot of people and she has also gone through and still struggling obviously with grief. So I feel like what she has to say is super important and you're going to take a lot from today's episode. But before we get into today's episode, I just want to do a little trigger warning and disclaimer. Um, Obviously, Maddie and I are not professionals. You know, we're just sharing our own personal advice and stories and what's worked for us. Obviously, what works for one person won't work for the other. So please keep that in mind. And we do touch on a little bit of um, maybe bad eating habits, eating disorders, mental health and grief. So if any of this is really triggering for you. I do advise maybe sit this one out, but let's get into it. Welcome, Maddie. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm very grateful. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Of course. Well, before we get into a little bit about you and your journey, I like to start off each episode with gratitude or things that have gone well for you during the day. So you can do that any way you like, but I'll start off first. I am very grateful for the time and energy that you're giving me tonight. I really do appreciate it and I'm so excited for this episode. And things that have gone well for me today, I took my dog for a walk and it was actually sunny and didn't rain. Melbourne weather is terrible at the moment. And the other thing that went well for me today is I got to speak to my dad on the phone, which we had a really nice call. What are you grateful for? Very nice. Um, I am grateful to live in Australia. I think with um, all of the things that we're seeing going on in the world at the moment, when we turn on the news, I feel very lucky and privileged to live in such a safe country with so many opportunities. And in that breath as well. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land of where we are all listening from today. Um, Two things that went grateful for me, two things that went well for me today, sorry, is on my drive to the gym (laughs) this morning, I saw the moon and then on the way home, I saw the sunrise. And then the other thing that went well for me was one of my friends reaching out to check in on me, which was very much appreciated. I love that. Uh, yeah, I can't get over the stuff that's going on in America at the moment. It's just so fucked up, to put it nicely. Absolute madness. Ugh. Yeah. I am going to take this off by asking you to introduce yourself and give us a little bit of background about you and your journey. Yeah, definitely. So I yeah. am 24 years old and I currently live in Brisbane, born and bred in Warrigal, where I lived for most of my life. And <laughs> I moved to Melbourne for about four years before I moved up to Brisbane. I currently work as a recruitment manager at an engineering consultancy and basically have been on a bit of a journey over the last few years to, I guess, mainly better myself and to take care of myself and look after my own health. And then I've had, I guess, some unfortunate things happen to me in the last couple of years, which we will discuss further in the podcast, but the main one being losing my brother to brain cancer three years ago. When did you actually start your Instagram? So Maddie has an Instagram, it's called Healthy Balanced Lifestyle. When did you start that? I reckon probably about two years ago. It was definitely during lockdown, which was when I sort of started taking like my 
health journey, I say with quotation marks, very seriously. And I didn't yep. really start the Instagram with any sort of real intention except for it to just be like a little bit of fun, but it's now sort of become, I guess you could say like a little hobby for me. Like I really enjoy going on it. I follow sort of a lot of like like like-minded accounts on there and just really enjoy creating recipes and posting content on there. So it's just sort of something I do for fun. Yeah. Well, I like, I remember when I don't know if someone like shared it or something, but I came across the page and around that time, like I was kind of like getting into my health and fitness journey as well. And I just felt like I really resonated with you and the message that you were sending to people because, you know, there's so much like misinformation out there on how to lose weight and what you should be eating and what you should be doing to your body. And you just had this reach that obviously worked really well for you. And like, I've tried that many fad diets, like just like the typical quick fix, but your message was all about, you know, like there's no quick fix and it's not that all or nothing mindset. And yeah, I've really felt like I resonated with that. That's good. I'm really happy to hear that because I guess that was, is sort of like my intention or my motivation. I think that I too have fallen for a lot of the fad diets. Like, and I mean, we can't really blame ourselves because we live in this really like for lack of a better word, fucked up society that has fed us so much shitty information over the duration of our lifetime. Like I look back at me in year nine being a 15 year old girl ordering skinny me tea off Instagram and shitting my pants for like a month because I (laughs) wanted to lose weight. And like, I look back at it now and I just think like, how messed up is that, that that was a thing. I remember one of my friends actually ordering it online and her mom calling my mom and saying, thinking that her daughter was buying marijuana off an online website, but it was just oh. skinny me tea, which I'm not sure which is worse. Skinny me tea. <laughs> I literally bought that as well. And like, I remember it tasted fucking horrible and just like, I was straight on the toilet, but there was so much of that out there when we were younger. I think it's like really interesting for the younger generations now to, I guess, compare how we grew up in comparison to them because like we were obviously in the generation when Instagram was born and, you know, we were sold products like Skinny Me Tea and there was a lot of magazine covers where they were, you know, really ripping into celebrities Mm -hmm. for the way that they looked and we had all this like toxic information to now sort of like the opposite end of the spectrum for teenagers is they're not getting that information from the magazine covers in the supermarket, but they're sort of being fed that information in like a device in their hand all of the time. So I think like, you know, in 10, 15 years time, it'll be interesting to hear the current teenagers have these similar conversations about what has perhaps affected them and their relationship with their body and food. You're so right. I remember the magazines would literally like target the celebrities for having like a little bit of cellulite on their legs and everyone at school, their goal was just to get rid of cellulite because that's all we were seeing. And that's all our brains were being fed with. Like the messages were just disgusting. And we wonder why there's so many body issues and eating disorders and the media has such a big part to play in that. Yeah, they definitely hold a lot of the responsibility, I think. Yeah, 100%. So what was your turning point in terms of your health? Like what made you start your health and fitness journey? I think there were a few factors that were the turning point for me. I wasn't feeling the best that I could. I was very lethargic and very tired. I lacked a lot of motivation. I used to nap a lot and I was sort of living in a bit of like a vicious cycle. I think when I reflect on it now at the time, I thought that I was really happy because I was having a lot of fun. I was partying on the weekends and having a really good time with my friends, which I think when you like put into perspective is a really important aspect of life. But if you're spending your Monday to Friday Mm -hmm. counting down to the weekend and you're going out Friday and Saturday night, binge drinking, spending all day Sunday hungover in bed, and then you roll out of bed on Monday morning counting down until Friday again, it's just like a vicious cycle that I realized that I needed to break out of. The binge drinking and the partying was like a a big aspect I've 100% been there. Yeah. I think we all sort of, unfortunately, a lot of us do go through that. Um, 
And it was just sort of, it came in conjunction with maybe me not addressing things that I was dealing with. I was perhaps, I don't know, drinking or having fun to sort of ignore things that were going on. And in a, as a result, I, I put on like a lot of weight in a, in quite a short period of time in a couple of years. And yeah, I just was not feeling my best. I had, did have a conversation with my doctor when I went in for something unrelated and they did mention like, bring up my weight to me, which I think there's sort of like two aspects to that, right? I definitely think that them bringing up my weight and telling me that it would be beneficial for my health for me to lose weight was important. But at the same time, I think it's important to remember Mm -hmm. that the amount that you weigh does not dictate your health. In my circumstance, that did have an influence on my health and and my mental health and I was not dealing with things in an an appropriate way so that advice probably was good advice but in no way saying that you know by being lighter that it necessarily means that you're healthy either yeah a hundred percent I used to dread like going to the doctors because I remember the first thing they'd do was put me on the scales. Doctors would say the same thing to me and it was kind of a bit of a wake up call, but at the same time, agree, can go both ways. And what do you think that some of the changes you implemented had like the most effects long-term? Because you've lost over 40 kilos, haven't you? Yeah, I'm sitting at about 38 kilos lost at the yeah. moment because I have put on a few kilos. But yeah, um, yeah I think to yeah. lose that much weight or to lose any weight and to be able to keep it off. Like I've, I've have kept like a significant amount of weight off. Um, it's definitely no quick fix or, yeah. um, you know, no overnight success. One thing that I implemented and something that I am mm-hmm. like very passionate about is just like the small little habits that you can implement that, you know, eventually over time have a big impact. So for example, I know when I started, uh, I had tried multiple times, you know, it comes around to a Sunday night and you say like tomorrow, I'm going to eat really healthy. I'm going to go to the gym five times. I'm going to do this, this, and this. And it's so unrealistic. Wednesday rolls around and you haven't done one of those things. And then you're like, okay, I'll just start again next Monday. So I needed to ditch that all or nothing mindset and instead implement little habits and like become really good at them and then add another habit to it. So for example, I, one of the first things that I started doing was committing to going to a walk at least a few times a week, instead of like overwhelming myself by giving myself like a bunch of tasks to do on that Monday, I started with a walk. And then once that became a habit or something that was easy for me to do, then I would add the next thing, which might be getting eight hours of sleep or drinking, you know, three liters of water. And then basically those habits over time have created what I would say is my lifestyle now. Like, I don't think that I'm necessarily like living, you know, I'm I'm not doing a diet. It's just literally all habits that are ingrained in my brain and, and habits that I know make me feel my best. Absolutely love that. Did you ever struggle with like getting yourself to the gym? Like just the thought of other people looking at you and, you know, not being at like the same fitness level. Cause I feel like a lot of people struggle with that. I know I definitely did. Definitely. I definitely do think that. And I still sometimes feel nervous, like in a gym, if there's, you know, a lot of like really strong people around me or, and I also am quite like competitive in nature as well. And I don't really like to feel like insecure or, but yeah, definitely that is, a big aspect of it. And I think probably like the bit of advice that I would give to anyone who is in that position is making sure that you are going to a gym that is like an inclusive or a safe space for you, or that you're doing a form of exercise that is genuinely enjoyable for you. I know like when I first started off, I used to just go to like the women's only section at the gym until I built up confidence, or I would book in with like a PT so they could teach me how to do things properly. And slowly over time, you know, I built up more confidence and was able to like sort of put myself out there a little bit more. But I think that's something that people really underestimate, particularly for someone who is perhaps considered overweight, is that the gym can be a really scary place and a lot of the people in there can be really intimidating. But one thing that I try and tell myself now is like when people are in the gym, they're like so focused on themselves that generally most people are not looking at you or they don't really care what you're doing. Um, and so if going to the gym is something that you enjoy or that you want to do for your health, like if you're going to a gym, that is a safe space for you, just sort of ignore what everyone else is doing and just focus on you. That's such good advice though. Cause like I 
can't think of a time where I've gone to the gym and I've looked at and focused on someone else. Like I might, my admire the fact that like maybe what they're doing or what they're lifting or the fact that they're even at the gym, but never have I like looked at someone and gone, what the fuck are you doing is about what you're doing. Just focus on yourself. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. You ever went backwards at all in terms of like your health and fitness journey? Like were there any setbacks ever? Yeah, definitely. And I still think that there always will be. I'll have life flows in like peaks and troughs, right? So there'll be periods where I will, you know, perhaps Mm. not go to the gym for a few weeks because I've got a lot on, or I might go on holidays or I might, um, you know, have friends visiting and go out for dinner every night. Um, it definitely, I definitely did have setbacks. And I think probably one of the best things that helped me was like that switch in my mindset of not being all or nothing and not like constantly striving for perfection and giving myself the permission to still enjoy my life and to still like appreciate that I'm making progress, whether it be big or small, like enjoyment of life and spending time and connecting with my friends is like so important to me. So if I was thinking about my health journey or being healthy, I wouldn't picture a lifestyle that didn't include that. So it's just, I guess, ditching that idea of like, you have to be perfect. Like give yourself permission to live a little and still enjoy life because like, what's the point of living if you don't? That kind of follows on from my next question. Like what's like the best piece of advice in terms of like ditching the all or nothing mindset. I feel like a lot of people like struggle with that. And even like, I know I have over the years and still do it. Like if I like eat something that's so-called unhealthy but like realistically 80 percent whole foods 20 percent not even bad foods but like treats how do you go from like having that and then not continuing to binge if that makes sense and not having that mindset of oh well I've had chocolate a little bit of chocolate now I'm not gonna eat the whole block yeah that's um I'm gonna be like fully transparent and say that that's something that I struggle with as well if I go out for dinner you can guarantee that I'm getting dessert on the way home like it's just I'm like I'm enjoying myself may as well keep going um so I definitely haven't perfected that and that's something that I think um probably like does sort of need some like professional help to be able to overcome. But I did hear um, this analogy a few years ago and I always think about it if I ever am like feeling, you know, that I want to binge or continue eating something that is quote unquote unhealthy. But the analogy was if you dropped your phone Mm -hmm. and it smashed, would you pick up your phone and like continue to use it or would you keep throwing it at the ground and continue to smash it? Right. So the same applies with your diet. If you ate something that was perhaps not nutritious, would you continue to go and like eat not nutritious things or would you just get back to eating that 80% whole foods and foods that make you feel good and nourish your body? So I try and apply that whenever I am in the moment, but at the same time, it's often easier said than done. But at I also, if I do overindulge or if I do go out for dinner and have a few too many drinks or eat too much, like I'm not going to beat myself up about it because I'm very much a person who likes to live with the the idea of memories over macros. I'd rather create the memories with my friends and have fun and then just, you know, get straight back into routine the next day because I know that's what makes me feel my best. Were you someone that ever used the scales or were you very much someone that believed we shouldn't be using them because the scales don't show what we're actually working on. Like you could literally put on weight, but you're actually building muscle and you're creating a healthier lifestyle. Like it's like the scales aren't important at all. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think the scales aren't important. I do weigh myself and I do use the scales, but I don't let the number on the scales negatively affect me as much as I did when I was first off in my journey or when I was younger. I think this one thing that, and I've I've been speaking with a few of my friends about this recently, but one thing that I like to sort of use to assess where I'm at on my health journey is I use like two principles. It's, am I happy and am I healthy? And so Mm -hmm. right now, for example, I know that I'm a few kilos heavier than I was before Christmas. Does it bother me? Like, could I lose those couple of kilos? Yes, I definitely could. And if I wanted to, I'm sure that, you know, it would be easy enough for me to do so. But 
why would I want to lose those couple of kilos when right now I'm so happy and I'm content with life? I'm enjoying time with my friends. I'm going out, I'm eating, having cocktails if I want to and living with no restrictions. So why should the number on the scales matter to me? I think if you want to use the scales, if you want to use yeah. measurements, if you want to use before and after photos, you definitely can because they can be a, a tool that is utilized to to measure your progress. But at the same time, you need to ensure that the number or the photos or whatever it is that you're using isn't having a negative impact on you. And if it is, then it's probably time to just get rid of them. And instead of focusing on that number, focusing on how you feel instead, because you're exactly right. If you're particularly, if you're starting off in the gym and you've never been before, you know, you are going to be building muscle. You know, if you, if you go out, if you eat something with high sodium in it and you weigh yourself the next day, you're going to weigh more than the day before. They're not a reflection of your worth or your health. And so focusing on how you feel and how happy you are is more important in my opinion. Yeah, I love that. And it, like even for girls, especially, I know I can put on three kilos just before my period and then I'll lose it as soon as it's done. It's literally the weirdest thing ever, but yeah, like even little things like and that. And it can play like games with your mind. And I need if, to get rid of my scales. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, why not? Like you, you really don't need them. They're really <laughs> not like a measurement of, of like your worth or your happiness. And I think that's so true. Like our weight fluctuates so much in a month, in like the period of a month and also like, you know, depending on what you ate. And so realistically, mm-hmm. like when you think about it, it's like, what actually is the benefit of knowing how much you weigh? Like it doesn't change anything and you're the only person that knows it. So it's almost like a little bit of self-sabotage that we do by yeah. ourselves. So maybe I'll get rid of the scales as well. Actually, yeah. I mean, I definitely use them for the wrong reasons. If anyone's out there and is using them for the wrong reasons like me, get rid of them. <laughs> yeah, you should all just make a pact. We're just going to throw them out. Yes. <laughs> what are some of your best tips in terms of mindset for living a healthier lifestyle? I think my biggest tip would be to sit down physically with a piece of paper. And I use this like as something that I recommend for people at work as well. So I recommend this in like different aspects of life, but sitting down with a piece of paper and writing down your why or your reasons or your motivations as to why you want to lose weight. For me personally, instead of writing down, you know, I want to lose weight or I want to start a health journey because I want to weigh X amount or I want to be X size. I sat down and I wrote, I want to, you know, start a health journey so I can have energy again. So I can, you know, be able to go for a hike with my friends and not feel exhausted. So I can ensure that I'm like nourishing my body and caring for myself. Or, you know, I want to start meditating because I know that it's going to help ease my mind and help with my anxiety. Getting like down to the core reason as to why you want to be on a health journey and not focusing on it for like aesthetic purposes, I think has a lot of power and, um, will motivate you hopefully to stay on track or to see it through because you know like realistically why you are doing it and and why you should stay on track I guess. That's so helpful as well. I feel like everyone who's in that position can actually go out and do that and that's like like a motivation and positive boost kind of thing. Like it's not negative in any way. Yeah I agree and I think that as well another thing that plays perhaps a part in being on a health journey is making sure that you're surrounded by like-minded people or people who are supportive of you and the changes that you want to make. So if you're perhaps surrounded by people Mm -hmm. who are living a lifestyle that you feel like you've outgrown, there's nothing wrong with taking a step back from those people or stepping away from them completely. I think that people come into our lives and they serve a purpose and, you know, they might've just been in your life for that period when you have a good time or whatever, but if they are your true friends, they'd be supportive of you, you know, wanting to better your health because how can you argue with that? So be prepared to create an environment that is healthy for you and going to support the lifestyle that you want to live because it's really hard to do that in an environment that is perhaps toxic or, you know, not aligned with the journey that you want to be on. Yeah. If you hang out with the wrong people, you're going to pick up bad habits that those people are doing. Even if you don't want to, it just, it happens. We can almost become who we hang around and who we surround ourselves with. Yeah, definitely. And I think that um, 
what I think there's like a quote or like a statistic that says like you become the average of the five people that are closest to you. And that's something that I think about all the time. And, um, that's yeah. something I think, I don't think I said my quote that I live by at the start, but I think I skipped that. So sorry, but the quote, Oh, we forgot. <laughs> but it, it intertwines. You can say it now if this is it. <laughs> it intertwines with, I guess, my health journey because the quote that I live by is like something that I actually just made up myself, but I refer to it all the time. And it is that the people in my life yeah. or the people closest to me need to add value to my life in one way or another. And I think I am very fortunate. I actually yeah. have quite a like large circle of friends or like best friends. And I know, you know, some people say, keep your circle small, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. It's really bizarre that I have quite a large support network and they're all from completely different places and completely different types of people, but they all add value to my life, but in different ways. Some of them, you know, might be the the shoulder for me to cry on. Some of them, you know, might be the friends that I go for walks with or that everyone supports me or adds value in a different way. And I think that's what's also helped me like living that balanced lifestyle is all of my friends are really supportive. They're, you know, happy as long as I'm happy. And I think that has helped me on my journey. It's just being surrounded by them. Yeah. Because we like often we'll try and find one or two friends with all of the qualities that we want, right? But it doesn't always work like that. We need different people in our life to bring in different qualities and to fulfill our needs. Even in a romantic partner, people like look for these qualities. It's like if if your romantic partner isn't giving you something that you need, but go and into different groups and try and find that with someone else if they're not fulfilling your needs in a way. Like one person isn't going to have it all, exactly. right? Yeah. And that's like, if you sat in a room with all of yeah. my best friends and I do yeah. often get them all in a room together, particularly when I go down to Melbourne, like the conversations that you would have with one of them would be completely different to the ones that you would have with another. But I think the underlying thing that is what yeah. is common amongst all of them is that they are really great supportive people. And you know, some of them are, are particularly good to me. They educate me on, on topics, me particularly being, I guess, a bit of a normie. Um, I've got some friends that, you know, are really progressive and they educate me on a lot of things, or I've got, yeah, some other friends that are more there for the support side of things. It's just being, yeah, getting things from relationships from different people to like fulfill your needs or to like make you happy and what you seek in your relationships, I think is really important. I couldn't agree more. Do we want to talk about size diversity at all and the need for inclusion? Like, do you think as a society, I know we've progressed, but do you think there's a lot more that we need to do in terms of reaching that goal, I guess? I think so. I think we still have a long way to go with diversity. And I think, yes, we have definitely progressed and we have, we are seeing a lot more diversity and inclusion in, you know, different brands and different marketing campaigns and things like that. But I still think there's a lot of people who aren't represented. I think one thing that I really like reflect on a lot Mm -hmm. is I remember being 18, getting ready for, you know, my high school valedictory dinner and going with my mum to Chatty and going to Melbourne Central and Emporium and walking into like 90% of shops and not being able to find anything that I could wear. It was the most disheartening and like awful experience. And instead of like me putting my frustration in the brands for not having my size, it made me really take it out on myself. Like I wasn't in the headspace that I'm in now, but I remember like saying, being in the mirror and literally saying to myself that, um, you know, that I wasn't going to eat for the rest of the day or like that, you know, I needed to change who I was to fit into the clothes. And when you have such a, um, important event coming up, it's, you don't, you want to be like having fun. You want to be excited trying on different dresses. I remember being in city chick and like trying on dresses that like, you know, my mom or my grandma would wear. Like, that's not what you want to wear to your year 12 valedictory dinner. Like that's just insane. Um, and it's actually really interesting because I had, um, uh, a teacher from my high school actually get my contact number two weeks ago to reach out to me because she has a daughter who's about to go um, to her year 11 formal. And 
her mum sent me a text to basically just reach out and ask if I knew anywhere that had size inclusive formal dresses for her daughter because they were really struggling and it was really disheartening. So when I hear stories like that, like makes my heart ache because I know how it feels to be that girl in the change room. And it just makes me realize that we still have a really long way to go. If, you know, five years on people are still having the exact same problem that I did. So yeah, we definitely have a long way to go. I was the exact same. I think it was for my 18th. I remember there was like all of the shops that I wanted to shop in and all my friends were shopping in and buying their clothes. Didn't have my size. Like I think I was a size almost 18 and no shop stocked that size. And it's, it's still an issue, right? Like I don't want to call out like any particular brands, but like I even have the same experience now, even though, you know, I've I've lost a lot of weight. I still can't just like walk into a shopping center and expect that, Mm -hmm. you know, I can wear that cute top that I've been seeing on like my TikTok or whatever, Mm -hmm. because there's still, they might run to a size 14, but is it really a size 14 or is it, is it really a size 10? Like, it's just the standard of sizing is also size such 10. an issue. Yep. Yeah. Actually. <laughs> I hate that when they write the clothing sizes, like they won't have a sign for like sizes six to 12, but then as soon as it, it goes up, it's plus size clothing in a completely different section. And that doesn't make people feel good. No. It doesn't at all, especially when we live in a society that perpetuates that the smaller size is better. And the the other thing that really frustrates me that brands do do is when they have like a different range for the plus size sizing. So like people who have bigger bodies, they can't wear the same cute clothes as, you know, someone that's a size eight might wear. They have to wear like these dorky, like grandma clothes because that's all that they make in their size. It's like, why can you not just create the same outfit, but just change the measurements? Like, why is it so hard? Yeah. Do you listen to, um, happy hour? No, I don't. I've listened to a few episodes, but I'm not a regular listener. Yeah. I remember it was possibly like two years ago now. Um, Healthy Chick 101. So she came onto the podcast and they have like a clothing brand called Jagger and Stone. And they only stocked up to like a size 12 and Riley, her name is, was calling them out kind of and was like, why don't you stock these sizes? And they were like, oh, you know, there's no need for it. There's not that many people that are those sizes. And she was like, I guarantee you, if you stocked them, people would buy the clothes and I remember the girl said once they did they had the most amount of sales in size 14 and 16 and onwards than they did with the rest of the other sizes and it's like you're not even giving the opportunity or including to see the need for it yeah I like can totally see how that would happen and I think like I obviously understand that running a business does come with expenses, but even if they just like piloted it and trialed, you know, just yeah. maybe stocking five items in a size 16 or something like that, I think like inclusion like as a whole is is about yeah. catering to perhaps the minority groups. Like, you know, if you if we all said like, okay, only 1% of the population mm-hmm. is blind, let's not have Braille. Like that doesn't make sense. I know that's like not the same to the same extreme, yeah. but there's still people yeah. who have plus size yeah. bodies that exist. So why should they not have the opportunity to buy the same clothes as, as the rest of the society? And we still have a long way to go. Well, our next topic, we might get into mental health and grief. So I know that you did mention on your stories that you have gone through the process of grief and you unfortunately you lost your brother and your grandparents. Yeah, my nan, my pop, yeah. and my uncle as well. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. It was a very hectic so time. Well, if you felt comfortable, do you want to maybe talk about that a little bit? And Definitely. I definitely I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk yeah. about this because I think it's something that people often avoid or don't know how to talk about. So I'm kind of in a place with it now that I can speak about it and I would really yeah. like to use the opportunity to shed light on it. So thank you. In terms of, I guess, my yeah. brother passing was the not, I don't want to say the most significant, but obviously had a really big impact on me and my family, particularly because he was Mm -hmm. um, relatively young, but for a bit of context, I guess. So um, 
both of my yeah. brothers are significantly older than me. So I was a little bit of a surprised child. Um, my mom fell pregnant with me when she was 39. So I grew up with teenage brothers <laughs> who, um, you know, used to yeah. just drive me around and bully me, (laughs) (laughs) but it was definitely a lot of fun. Um, (laughs) (laughs) so my eldest brother, Nick, when he was five years old, so obviously this was before I was born, I think it was five years old, but when he was quite young, he was diagnosed with brain cancer. And so he basically went through a lot of like radiation and treatment and all of that sort of stuff. And, um, he was very fortunate in the sense that he overcame, um, quite an aggressive cancer a few years later, he had um, him and both of my brothers caught chickenpox, which I guess is quite a normal thing. A lot of people have chickenpox when they're in primary school. Um, and obviously, you know, the medical industry was a little bit different yeah. going back 30 years or whatever it was. But he got chickenpox and it spread to his ears, which caused him to go deaf. So he had a compromised immune system from being sick, mm. but he had only like 2% hearing in each ear. So he wore hearing aids. And I probably should have mentioned on top of that as well, from the treatment and surgeries that he'd had as a child from the brain cancer, he did have a disability. So he grew up, he spent like, you know, most of his life living a relatively normal life to some extent. Like he still went to school and like he went to Marist and all of that sort of stuff. In his adulthood and in like the most recent years, he worked for, I'm not sure if you've heard of like Mawara has a, like a landscaping company which basically provides opportunities to people with a disability so he like mowed lawns and did gardening and things like that um when he was like in his mid-20s he got diagnosed with thyroid cancer which was i believe a secondary cancer caused by the radiation that he'd had as a child so i was quite young when that happened but he went through treatment and had his thyroid removed and that sort of stuff to overcome that and basically he was like in remission completely cancer free didn't have anything to worry about he still had to go every year once Mm -hmm. a year for like regular scans just like just like a protocol but he was completely fine and then when and I think I can't remember the year exactly I want to say 2018 or 2017 my parents went away I think it was for their anniversary or something like that they went to Bali for a week and while they were gone I was living in Melbourne my other brother was living in Warrigal my two brothers were living in Warrigal um and the middle brother went and um just to go and like check on Nick and see how he was going and he called me like straight away and he said to me, he's like, Maddie, I think that there's something wrong with Nick. Like, I don't know if he's like had a stroke or something, but he's walking funny. He'd had like an incident where he'd taken like a glass tray out of the oven and he dropped it and it had smashed everywhere. And he just seemed like really not himself. And I was 19 at the time and I like sort of panicked. I said, okay, I'll go and get him. He can come and stay with me. So he came up to Melbourne and he lived with me for a couple of days. And I ended up getting him in to go and see his cancer specialist. So we went in the next day, he had some scans. And then the day after that, we went and got the results. And basically, yeah, he'd said that he had brain cancer again and that it was spread throughout his brain and that it wasn't looking good. And they didn't think that, you know, it was going to be fixable. At the time, stupidly, I was like, mum and dad are on holidays. I don't want to tell them. I don't want to ruin their trip. Like, it's okay. We'll just sort of like deal with it and wait till they get home. Yeah. And I ended up calling my grandma and she was like, no, you can't do that. Like, you need to tell your mum and dad. So they ended up coming home and then he went, Nick went and stayed with them. So it was this such a bizarre experience because literally overnight, like our whole life had just turned upside down and it was so much to comprehend. I was 19 years old. I had my brother living with me for a couple of days and, you know, he was like 36 or 37 at the time and I was like looking after him. He wasn't able to walk properly. He was speaking funny and it it just like all happened so fast. And then basically over the period of about 12 months, he just, he slowly declined. They did, they tried you know, this special treatment that they thought may have been able to help it. He was, he always like really inspired me because he was, he put up a fight right until the very end. And, you know, was always like speaking of a mindset that, you know, it was going to get better and that it was going to be fine. But it was very hard to watch someone go from being completely fine, the version of him that I knew 
to then, you know, slowly losing the ability to walk, slowly, yeah. slowly losing the ability to shower themselves, to be able to feed themselves. And watching someone so young deteriorate before your eyes was like a very, yeah. very traumatic and very exhausting experience because you, yeah. I was exhausted from the emotions. And then also like physically the whole time that he was sick, my parents were a hundred percent his caregivers. Like he never went into palliative care at hospital or anything like that. So they yeah. did all of that. And I would come back from Melbourne as uh, once or twice a week to help out as much as I could, but it was just emotionally and physically like mm-hmm. a really heartbreaking and exhausting experience. I think there's like a whole so- process that people don't know about. Like, and I'm glad that they don't know about it because I, I don't want anyone to ever experience that or to feel how yeah. like, myself or my family felt, but it did make it almost very isolating because yeah. we were dealing with these emotions and this experience for the first time. We didn't know how to feel. We didn't know how to regulate our emotions. We didn't know how to cope. And we had never heard of anyone or known of anyone with a similar experience. So we're literally just winging it. And like, obviously there's not necessarily anything we could do that would change the outcome, but I think it was very hard because I just sort of never known anyone to go through something like that before. Yeah. It's so traumatic for you and your family. I can't even imagine. It's just, and I, it's really bizarre, but I think one thing that, you know, will always like be on my mind. And I I know that it's not necessarily my fault. And I know that, you know, this just like happened to be what happened. But on the day that Nick died, uh, basically the, I was already starting my health journey when Nick was sick. And every morning at 5.30 AM, my alarm would go off and I would go to the gym and the, that week had just been like a really heavy week. Like I'd been back and forth from Warrigal and that morning I decided I wasn't going to go to the gym. So I decided that the night before. And that was when like that, that update had mm-hmm. come on iPhones where you could put it in like sleep mode, where you'd like set the timer and your phone would be on like, do not disturb. And then you wouldn't get interrupted during the night. So that update had just happened yeah. the day before. And so I went to bed that night. I was like, no, I'm not going to go to the gym in the morning, change my alarm from 5.30 to like 8 a.m., put my phone down, go to sleep. I ended up waking up at like 7 o'clock just sort of naturally, and I could see that I had all of these missed calls. And like they were from my mum and dad, so immediately I knew that Mm -hmm. something was wrong. And then I had a text message from my uncle saying that he was going to come and pick me up. And I don't want to get emotional, but – basically Nick was like on his like last legs and you know, the, the palliative care nurse was there and the doctor was there and like, it was just about time and they knew that he was just about to pass. And it was the one morning of all of the mornings that I decided not to go to the gym and I slept in and I'm, I missed being there for that moment. Like my parents were calling me because he was holding on. And I remember my mom saying to me that Nick had said like, where's Maddie? He was holding on, like trying to wait for me to get there. And um, when my uncle came to get me, my uncle had told me that he'd already passed and that I'd missed it. And I will never, it's not that I won't forgive myself. I try not to be like hard on myself about it, but the fact that I wasn't there will always be something that, you know, I will live with forever. And that like, I'll obviously never forget about. And it's just, I try to like tell myself that that happened for a reason and that perhaps I wasn't meant to be there. And, you know, that's why it panned out the way that it did, but that's only the only real like reassurance that I can give myself. Um, but after that happened, my uncle came and picked me up and we went home and it's, like I've don't think I've like ever told someone this before, but you see at you see dead bodies in movies, right? Or you may have been to a funeral with an open casket. I had mm-hmm. I had seen both of those things before, but Nick had passed like in at Mum and Dad's house. Mm-hmm. And I came home and I saw him and like I just it sounds so bizarre, but I literally like just laid in bed, like it was a double bed. I just laid next to him and I just like cried. And it was an experience that is like probably very weird to a lot of people, but it provided me with a lot of comfort because I wasn't there to say goodbye. 
but you don't know what a dead person looks like until you see them. Like I remember holding his hands and like they were cold. It wasn't, it wasn't like holding, you know, a person's hand. His, his body went cold and apparently that happens like almost instantly or he was like laying sort of on his side and because of like the blood's not moving around the body, you know, like his ears started to go purple and it was like so like traumatic but also like I don't want to use the word beautiful because that's not what it was, but it's an experience that I was very grateful that I got to have because it was, I didn't know that the time that I'd seen him before that would be the last time. So I got that opportunity and I, I just laid there and I just spoke to him and I just cried and I sort of acted as if he was still there. And it was just the most like bizarre and traumatic experience that I've ever been through yeah i feel like so many people are going to appreciate the fact that you've just spoken about that so thank you how would anyone prepare yourself for that situation that's like almost impossible so yeah yeah it's and just it's, it's so yeah thank I've you i sent my love to you and, and your family. it's so weird as well like the whole process of dealing with grief is just so bizarre and it's so unique and it's different for every person but like you know, I've just said that that, that experience of laying with me was so traumatic and I was so upset, but I went into this weird panic mode that like, I do want to talk about because I don't know if it's normal or it was just sort of my mind's way of reacting. But after I got up, after he, he was there, you know, they, the funeral home came and they took his body away, which was awful. And my parents understandably were like, Mm -hmm. they were laying in bed really upset and all of our family started to like arrive like you know uncles and aunties and cousins and all of that sort of stuff and I went into this bizarre manic like panic mode I remember like getting in the car with my auntie and driving down to Coles like literally not even two hours after I've just like laid with my my brother's body and I'm like in Coles buying ingredients to cook everyone lunch and I came home and I, I was making everyone cups of tea, like making lunch. I went into this. I don't know if it was because I knew my mom has always played that role in the family that she's like the real caregiver. She looks after everyone and she brings everyone together. And it, I'm not sure if it was because she didn't have the capacity yeah. to do that at the time. I just sort of thought I inherited that responsibility and had to do that, which no one was putting that expectation on me but myself. But it yeah. is now yeah. that I look back at it, like, in that moment, I didn't deal with the fact that I was grieving. I didn't deal with the fact that I'd lost my brother. I just sort of like distracted myself and kept myself busy. And I did that for a very long time. Like I still don't think that I've ever dealt with my grief. I like always just sort of put on this like, you know, brave face, I guess, or, you know, never really like showed too much emotion about it in front of other people. And I remember someone once said to me, like, you know, you seem to be doing really well. And it's probably one of like the worst like comments that I received because like I wasn't doing well. My brother had just fucking died. I was just good at at putting on a brave face to people on the outside. But at home I was like crying every night when I was alone and not dealing with my emotions properly. So I think that is like quite like a, can be like a normal response to trauma. But I think that for anyone who is going through a similar thing or has, you know, a relative that's sick, it's really important that you set time aside to think about how you're feeling and like what is going to, I don't know, serve you or perhaps like help you with your healing. And like, it sounds like with what you were saying with the groceries and it's kind of expanded. It almost seems like a a sense of control. Like, holy shit, I've just lost my brother. I had no control over that. What can I do to avoid and can control the situations going forward instead of actually sitting with myself and acknowledging the feelings that yeah, I'm feeling. I think you're 100% on the money with oh, yeah. that. And I, I am a I bit of a that. control freak, so yeah. that does definitely check out and make yeah. sense. Same story. <laughs> <laughs> well, how, what are some tips that you could give to others in supporting someone, like friends or family, that are going through grief? If there, there definitely is, any. is a lot of things that I would recommend. For people personally yeah. going through grief, one thing that you have to acknowledge is that, like, it comes in waves. Like, I can have days where I can be literally so happy and on top of yeah. the moon and 
is that the saying on top of the moon or just like, you know, feeling really great. And then like all of a sudden, I don't know, something might trigger me yeah. or I'm Nick just like might come into my mind and, you know, I can like fall in a heap and be crying. So, um, that is supposedly a very natural part of the grieving process. So if you are a friend who has someone who's going through that, um, just sort of accept that that's just how it is and that they are having a hard time dealing with that or dealing with their emotions and just sort of be there for them as much as you can. I think supporting a friend through grief varies from one person to another. And, you know, I can even see it in my family. Like we all deal with it in very different ways and we require different support. So if you are able to have a conversation with someone and say like, how can I show up for you? How can I support you right now? Like that is a conversation that I think is very worthwhile I think like one of the things for me personally and something that helped my family a lot is I guess when you think of like the love languages, I think acts of service is a really good one when people are grieving. So it it doesn't need to be, you know, anything expensive. Like you might Mm -hmm. cook them dinner or you might go and like offer to do their washing or, you know, take their dog for a walk or something like that. You might even just like write them a letter to just let them know how you're feeling. Mm -hmm. I think something that a lot of people did for me when I was going through it is I got a lot of messages saying, you know, call me if you need me or like, I'm always here for a chat if you need it. And I appreciate the sentiment in that. And if you're not super close with a person, then I think that is an appropriate message to send. But if your best friends or if you, exactly, exactly. It's it's almost like an empty promise a lot of the time. So if the person grieving is your best friend or someone that you're really close with, or, you know, someone that you really want to be there for, pick up the phone and actually call them. They might not answer, but like at least there was, you know, the effort was there. And that's why I think, you know, perhaps writing a letter, sending them a card or some flowers or something like that, like an actual act is a lot more meaningful than like just a text message to say, I'm here if you need, because quite often a lot of people, when they're going through challenging things, whether it be grief or mental health issues or whatever it is, quite often it's not easy for them to speak up or ask for that help. So that, quite often that text message is pointless. This is the thing with like checking up on your mates, isn't it? It's like you can send the text message, but the people that are depressed and grieving, they'll just say they're okay and go on with their life. Actually make the effort to continue the conversation, continue support, ask if you can support them in any way. And actually I know it's probably not healthy, but I've been in situations where I know friends are really struggling and I haven't even given them the opportunity to spend time with me. It's more like we're going for a walk today. If you don't get up, I'm dragging you out of bed, which is, I'm not telling people to do that, but just give them something to go with rather than making them follow through. Sometimes that that is the most appropriate course of action. And like, sometimes they need that push. And I know that there was people who did that for me. And if they had have just like sent me a text and put the idea by me, I would have said no. But at the end of the day, I needed to get out of the house. I needed to like have that opportunity. And if you rock up on their doorstep and they're genuinely like, no, like get the fuck out of here. Like, I don't want to go for a walk with you. Then respect that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You can leave. It's um, okay. Something as well that is, I think, advice for if you're a friend of someone who's grieving is that you need to remember that the grieving doesn't just stop after a month or after a couple of weeks. It's, you know, when someone passes away, that that person who's affected receives a high influx of messages, of calls, of, of people, you know, sending flowers and things like that. I have never felt so supported in my life than I did when we lost Nick. I remember our house was like a florist and people were calling and texting on end and it was so beautiful and it was something that we, like as a family, we really needed. But then like six months later, it's like when or a couple of months later or a week or whatever, when that all starts to drop off and I think it sort of really starts to sink in that you have lost that person, It's that's often the period where you feel the most isolated. And so... If you are a friend, keep checking in on them, you know, keep like doing those things and making sure that they are sort of dealing with it in a healthy way. Um, 
And I think that's one thing as well. It's obviously different for everyone and people deal with things differently, but something that I really hate is when people will like be having a conversation and we might start talking about siblings or something like that. And they get awkward and they, they want to like pretend that Nick Mm -hmm. never existed because they don't want to make me feel uncomfortable for me personally. And I know it's not the same for everyone who's grieving, but for me personally, I do not want to forget that he existed. He is my brother at the end of the day. He's a huge part of my life. He's my favorite person. He always will be. I don't want you, I don't want people around me to feel awkward about talking about him or talking about their own siblings or, you know, feeling, worrying that it's going to make me feel bad. Like if you have siblings and they're healthy and well, like I'm so happy for you. Like I wish I could have the same thing. I don't want you to like, I'm, I wish I could have the same thing. Sorry. I don't want you to feel like you have to hide that part of your life for me out of like worry that it's going to make me upset. My last thing, um, my last, (laughs) before you get into the fourth thing, I really appreciate you saying that because as someone, I've got people in my life that have lost people. I do feel like I am that awkward person that doesn't know how to respond and probably makes it so much harder for the other person that is dealing with grief. So I am 100% taking that on and thank you because, yeah, I just sometimes don't know what to do. But you're right. Like, what's the point of you're literally just making it worse for the person in the sense. Yeah, by like you can't just tippy toe around it, you know. Like it's happened, and th- and there's nothing that can change that, yeah. right? You just gotta like no. still like embrace, you know, that they existed and yeah, a, a, and like acknowledge their existence. I guess my yeah. fourth thing that I would say, and I yeah. did actually, I did actually hear this yeah. the Darling Shine podcast that someone sent to me a little while ago. Um, they spoke about something similar, and I think it's just. Yes, I love her too. Elodie, I, I love think her. it's she's the only other person, only other yeah. person, the only person that yeah. I've ever heard speak openly about grief and these feelings and these emotions. Like, and yeah. I listen to her and I just think, like, fuck, I'm not the only one. Like, I feel yeah. I thought that I was crazy. Like, no one's ever spoken about this before. Like, um, it's I find a lot of comfort yeah. in you know hearing her speak about it and like hearing about her experience. So someone had sent me one of her podcasts about grief and mm-hmm. they were talking, I think they were called, they're called platitudes. And I experienced quite a few of those when Nick passed. And there's a couple that I've written down that in particular really mm-hmm. make me angry. I hated, hated when people said to me after Nick yeah. passed, at least he's no longer suffering. Sorry. I know I'm guilty. I have probably said that before at some stage in my life without a doubt. And it wasn't until someone said it to me when I was grieving that I was like, never fucking say that again. And I will never say that to someone ever again, because at the end of the day, that person should never have been suffering in the first place. Like them dying does not make the fact that they were suffering any easier, you know, like do not, yeah, my advice is okay, to never yeah. fucking say that. And the other thing, the other saying that I really hate, and I know a lot of people live by this saying, and whenever I hear someone say it, I will voice that I do mm-hmm. not agree with it. But I think it's just a saying that you may need to be conscious around who you say it around yeah. is everything happens for a reason. I do think a lot of things in life happen for a yeah. reason. Quite often we use this phrase, you know, when something good happens or when something bad hap- it's bad's happened, but another good thing has happened. Like one door closes, another one opens, right? I had someone say to me, like not long after Nick had passed, yeah. everything happened for a re- happens for a reason. And it absolutely infuriated me. And I remember mm-hmm. challenging them and I said to them, and I actually rehad this conversation yeah. like a couple of weeks ago with someone and I'll laugh if they listen to this, but in my opinion, things do happen for a reason. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps some things do happen for a reason. But when I challenged this person and I said, you can't tell me everything happens no. for a reason. Like what is the reason as to why Nick died? Like give me an explanation for that. Cause I would love to hear it. And they were like, well, look at you mm-hmm. now. Like you've become really strong. You've come out on the other mm-hmm. side. Like you're doing all these great things. Like he would be so proud of you. And I was like, that's really nice that you've said that. And, you know, I hope that I am doing him proud. But at the end of the day, he should never have fucking died. He should never have been sick. He should still be mm-hmm. here. I would rather not be strong 
mm-hmm. and have him sitting here next to me. So don't like try and argue with me and tell me that, you know, he had to die for me to yeah. be the person that I am today. Because I know that if he was still here and if he was never sick, I would still be happy. Mm-hmm. I would have gotten to where I was supposed to be one way or another. And he did not need to die for me to be who I am right now. Exactly. It's like that toxic positivity. I keep seeing that come up and I know like I'm very guilty of saying that phrase, but like not, I would never ever say it to that extent. There's got to be a line and I can't believe that someone has said that. So if you are someone that lives by that motto, definitely be careful about who you say it around. Cause I honestly reckon if you said that in front of my mom, she'd reconsider your head off, which would be fair enough. which is fair enough so tips for processing grief or any habits that you have that you try and practice daily in terms of like helping your mental health Um, I think there's a few things and it, it does interlink with my health journey I just I guess when you write down your why and what you why you want to be better or why you want to be on a health journey. Um, I took into account, you know, the thought of my grief and what I could do that would make me feel better. So say for example, like I make sure I go for a walk almost every day. It's something that I do that really just like clears my mind. I normally just listen to like music with like no words or something really like mind numbing and just allow myself to be alone with my thoughts. I think one thing that if you are going through grief or processing grief, remember that your support network is there for a reason. I probably didn't utilize mine enough. And, you know, those people do really care about you and they are, you know, hopefully really willing to listen to you and to be there for you. I probably wouldn't say I'm the best person to give advice for processing grief because I still don't think I have processed the grief at all. And I still sort of almost feel like I'm living in this autopilot a lot of the time. One thing for me that I like haven't ever really said to many people, but moving to Brisbane was a really good opportunity for me to sort of take a little bit of a step back and figure out, you know, where I was at in my head and to try and start to begin to process my grief. I have like a real nature of, I wouldn't like, I do have a people pleasing nature, but I don't think that's necessarily where this stems from. But I, you know, really, really care about my family a lot and I really love them. And I wanted to be there for them in as much capacity as I possibly could. And I still try and do that as much as I can, but you can't pour from an empty cup. Mm -hmm. And I needed almost, I I had the intentions of when I moved up here that I might just stay for 12 months. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, I felt I love that, that saying. to my core. I was like, all right, I might just like move yeah. to Brisbane. Like it wasn't, this wasn't solely the reason, but I thought it would give me an opportunity to have a little bit of a breather, figure out my own feelings, sort of like deal yeah. with this and take a little bit of a step back because being at my parents is like, I love being at my parents yeah. where I grew up. I love being with them, but it's also very triggering for me. Like my brother died in the spare room. Like I have those memories that will always be in the back of my yeah. mind. So I needed to physically distance yeah. myself from all of that a little bit. And I, I am very glad that I did yeah. because now that I'm not pouring from an empty cup so much, and I have had time to somewhat process the grief, I feel like I can be a better daughter. I can be a better sister. I can show up more in my relationships and be a better version of me instead of like running on empty. It's like that quote. It's like, you can't heal in an environment that made you sick. Not, I don't feel that sick's the right word, but like kind of that, that meaning it's, I fully believe that in order to heal, getting out of environments that are yeah. making you and feel stuck in And I don't think there's anything wrong with taking really a step important. back in whatever way you need to do it focusing yeah. on like whatever is best for you is going to ultimately no. be the best thing for everyone involved. hundred percent. Well, it looks like we are <laughs> running out of time. We've well and truly gone over what we intended to do and we still have so much more. We were going to talk about skin, moving states, toxic relationships, breakups with friends, like everything. So I'm sure I know you guys will love hearing Maddie but if you do want her to come back and talk about those topics please let us know but one question I'm trying to 
I think I did it with my mum. Ask each of my guests at the end of the episode is what is one piece of advice you wish to give your younger self? Um, one piece of advice I'd like to give my younger self is to just take pressure off myself <laughs> and everything will work out in like what way it's supposed to in terms of, you know, school and work and all of that sort of stuff is that, um, yeah. you will figure it all out and to just take that pressure off yourself and just like live in the moment. Well, thank you so much. Where can we find your Instagram? Cause I'm sure I absolutely love following your page. She posts all these cool recipes that are like so yum. She motivates me to work out, get up out of bed. If thank anyone you. needs any motivation, go thank on you. follow That's very kind. Um, my Instagram is healthy balance lifestyle underscore underscore. I'll leave it in the description. Thank you for having so many like productive conversations and talking about, you know, things that we can learn more about or things that may be taboo. So I appreciate you for having those conversations. Of course. Thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) And that brings us to the end of today's episode. So thank you so much if you got this far. I'm sorry for the little crossovers in voices, but I'm hoping that what Maddie had to say was worthwhile because I definitely took a lot from it. Grief is such an important topic that isn't spoken enough about so I really appreciate Maddie coming in and she did so well. So if you're still here thank you so much and remember nothing changes if nothing changes. (laughs) 